0: Today's episode is supported by A Kid's Book About, a collection of beautifully designed books that kickstart challenging and powering conversations between kids and their grown-ups. It's no surprise at all that we like talking about the hard stuff with one another, with you all, and with our kids, which is why this new series has resonated so much with us. A Kids Book About releases new books every month from experts and authors who bring their personal stories, practical wisdom, and childlike playfulness to the page. They explore topics like belonging, feminism, body image, racism, gratitude, and beyond. Life is complicated, and their mission is to help kids and their grown-ups have honest conversations about things that matter. We think that's pretty cool, so visit today's show notes to learn more. Now, on to our episode. <music> Hello, everyone. If you're new to upbringing, welcome, and thank you so much for being part of this community. We are sisters and moms to three, four, five, and six-year-olds who both inspire and challenge us every single day, right? Ain't hand? that the truth? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we briefly want to acknowledge our privilege in getting to talk about this as our job, and also a quick disclaimer that though we have certifications in all this stuff, we are not licensed therapists or MDS. Mm-hmm. We base this season's podcast episodes on our freedoms model and our resist approach, which you can download on our website, upbringing.co. And in each episode of the podcast, we connect about common challenges with our kids in these realms of their lives that we call their freedoms, their nourishment, their play, their contributions, their speech, their feelings, their expressions, and more. And they're places that once they're around, what, like two years old, Mm -hmm. can bring a lot of resistance and a lot of power struggles. Yay. Yay. Um, (laughs) We use the resist approach as kind of this loose six-step process that helps us to interact respectfully and with some awareness and consideration to, number one, keep our kids safe, healthy, Mm -hmm. and keep the home moving in the right direction. And two, with a sensitive approach to maintaining their strong and intimate connection to their own bodies and spirits. So we don't basically... Inadvertently over control what we call their inner wisdom and inner authority. Mm -hmm. And so that we can be getting shit done while we're still encouraging them to look within instead of just outside themselves for that wisdom to move through the world authentically. That's our goal. It can be both. We can hold both of those things at the same time, I think. Mm -hmm. And so much of this requires that we examine our beliefs and our cultural conditioning and really honestly take a bunch of unhelpful things off our job description mm-hmm. as we weekly run through one of the 10 freedoms or, as in this week, a Q&A that yeah. we're doing. So this week's Q&A is about sibling conflict. We've been getting a lot of DMs and a lot of connection mm-hmm. about this. We've been experiencing this hugely ourselves oh, for the last God. two weeks of quarantine. Um, people are freaking out. It's yeah. close quarters. It's high stress. Um, <clears throat> a lot of parents are working to uh, get work done Actually, it's not just evenings and weekends. They're home with their kids right now. Um, things have shifted, and a lot of kids who are usually go to separate daycare centers or have separate teachers and separate time during the day so are true. now at home all day together. Yeah. Like, talk about transitions for all of us. It's yeah. a big one. Yeah. So these episodes are not deep dives, but we just we're talking about this to broaden all of our awareness and and refine some of our skills and feel connected in this really this. Um, This universal struggle, Mm -hmm. all of these struggles. And this is one small conversation to start the conversation of you with other people, with us if you want to do coaching in our Instagram videos Mm -hmm. and other things that we discuss um, with your reading, if you get into that. This is just the start of something. Awesome. So we have more than one Q&A. They all fall under the umbrella today of sibling conflict. Well, right? and I, yeah, and I think that it's really tricky where it's like we're trying to keep these episodes more simple because we don't have time to produce them anymore. Where we're reading more, we're getting the research to put into all of this, wah, wah. And, and it's like, but we also, a QA and a is difficult because we say, okay, it's a two-year-old and a one-year-old, mm-hmm. and someone's like listening and being like, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, you cannot help me, or, or I have an mm-hmm. infant, you cannot help me or it's just me and my 2 year old mm-hmm. they don't have a sibling and i think what you're hinting at here han is that these are universal conflict resolution goals that mm-hmm. we ha- that we're going to be exploring here whether it's between a child and their dog whether it's between two children whether it's between a child and the- and me or mm-hmm. their grandparent or honestly between me and my partner goals mm. yeah. like really it, but it's all connected and these mm-hmm. skills and this awareness transcends age and stage yeah. and um and even you know like sibling relationship and we're trying to get in there more soon starting this next week Doing live Q and A's a few evenings a week, six p.m. Pacific time. um, Drop into our Instagram account and see if we're there. We're trying to escape and do it, and we can be kind of getting to some of these other Q and A's that are falling through the cracks. Yeah, and finding out what else you guys are struggling with that Mm -hmm. we can all talk about and share together and explore, um, because we're going through our stuff, but everyone you know is going through similar or slightly related or different stuff that. Um, I think it could be fun to all discuss. Okay, so what are the three situations that we're talking about today and we're going to address? First situation, it kind of goes from younger age to older age. So the first situation is a toddler that is like 18 months old, almost two years old, that is hitting a new baby, a new sibling, Um, sometimes also hitting the dog, and sometimes also then also hitting the parent. Mm -hmm. So a, a, a toddler who is hitting various people. Yes. Situation number two is a four-year-old and an 18-month-old who are just having some trouble as siblings. They're playing, they're fighting, they're hitting and biting, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then situation number three is twin seven-year-olds who are verbally abusing one another. Less of the physical stuff, maybe. Yeah. More than the brain games, <laughs> the, uh-huh. the, the mental damage. Verbal torture. Yes, exactly. Um, so hopefully, the, exploring each of these three situations that we've heard several times in our DMs can give us all kind of more of a general idea of how to move through these and where, where the similarities are and what little particularities we can Mm -hmm. kind of drop in. Yeah, I think, so we're going to start the episode by flipping three beliefs very briefly that Mm -hmm. sort of lead into this because really parenting is so much about our beliefs, right, Han? And we've had to flip so many beliefs that felt foundational to our humanity, to uh, culture, to tradition, to our our own upbringing. But why have we had to flip them? Uh, Our kids keep telling us that we need to, basically. Mm -hmm. So for like for sanity, yeah, for our relationship, for what the greater good, yeah, for social change. Like we talk about that mm-hmm. that so much of our work as parents is connecting to these little people in a respectful way that's going to move their skills and our connection along and on a healthy trajectory. But also our work is dismantling these bigger um, culturally conditioned systems that say work in a hierarchy that say respect up the food chain, not down that say you can only learn or teach somebody by being stern.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: all of these all of these things that are our, our conventional wisdom impresses upon us or that we don't just think about before we become parents because we don't really think about much other than like having a cute little baby mm-hmm. at least I didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> me neither <laughs> totally. So we're gonna flip these three beliefs um, talk a little bit about that. it's important stick with us. Then we're going to be giving basically four top takeaways for each of the three situations. Mm-hmm. And and they're all within the resist approach, um, but they're the things that really s- have stuck with us in this sibling stuff and with our four kids. So we've got the sibling, two and two, and then we've got the two older girls and the two younger boys. We have all of these different... We had four kids in three years. So. Yeah, we've got yeah. all these different combinations of chaos. Uh, so that, that's what we're going to talk about. Great. So the first belief... Uh, That I went into um, when my son was born Mm -hmm. was when, you know, the first time my daughter hit him um, or said she hated him Mm -hmm. was that I was like, whoa, whoa, sibling conflict is negative. Mm -hmm. This sucks. Yeah. My attitude, this isn't about attitude, this belief, was that sibling conflict is unnecessary. It's unproductive. It's not fun. It's embarrassing. It's scary. Mm -hmm. All of these things. It's triggering. It's worrisome. So yeah, many, things. all this stuff. But what we're coming to realize with our with our training, with our reading, with our experience, is that it's actually the opposite. Sibling conflict is valuable, and we're going to talk about why. Right. A lot right. of reasons why. A lot of reasons why. Yeah. What's the second belief, Cal? Well, the second belief is really connected to our approach. So. Our, our attitude was the first one. Our, mm-hmm. Now it trickles down to our approach. And our, I think our belief ultimately and instinctually is that our role as a parent with these two little people in this sibling dynamic is to control, right? We're the referee, we're the police, we're the hall monitor, we're the judge and jury. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun and it's a lot of pressure. Well, and why wouldn't we believe that our role is to control if we our attitude was that sibling conflict is negative? If I believe that it's negative, then all i have to i want to stop it i want to mm-hmm. fix it i want to make it go away i want to you know minimize it at every cost mm-hmm. so if we believe that it's valuable then how does our approach change what is our role not to control but what to support yeah yeah so <clears throat> i think that our engagement should be focused rather on fixing the problem focusing on the behaviors it should be about helping our kids calm down and learn how to understand themselves and one another. So, we're gonna talk more about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what's the third uh, belief that we're flipping? Oh, this one came up when we did a talk at our kids' Montessori school about sibling conflict. And we kind of took a poll about why all these parents were, were there. And all of the answers basically said, I want harmony in my home. My goal is harmony. <laughs> and like, oh, I don't yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah. I wanted to be happy. I, I don't want any fighting. I want peace. Everyone needs to get along. Mm-hmm. And what we've been learning, what we've been experiencing, and what we've been really like deep diving into to engage with and lean into is that that the harmony doesn't exist, and it's not a reasonable expectation to have a purely harmonious home. Right, Han? Well, right, and it because it also perpetuates that belief that conflict is negative, and that our role, our approach, which are, is our role, is to control. And mm-hmm. it goes in this cyclical thing of, frankly, negativity, lack control, negativity, lack, Mm -hmm. control over (laughs) and over again, and that's not good for us, that's not good for our kids. And I I would want to be out of that loop and into a new loop. So, if we believe that sibling conflict is valuable, and if we believe that our approach is to support, then what is our ultimate goal? What are we supporting? And and our goal is is not harmony, but connection. Mm -hmm. And that is is truly the best possible outcome. It's more realistic than harmony. Mm -hmm. Conflict is going to happen always if it doesn't happen it's because we've enforced some sort of like scary militaristic uh, home <laughs> home situation yeah, right? I don't want to picture that me either yeah. um but I, I'm just thinking as we're looking at these things so like it's negative I must control harmony all of those those three things are like based on what we see mm-hmm it's all the visible world and when we look at it this other way when we choose these this other lens to look through this as valuable support and connection those are the more invisible things mm-hmm. and I think that's why it's so hard for us to be like but how because mm-hmm. it's invisible those types of things rather than controlling you're like I know what control looks like it yeah. looks like yelling it looks like consequences it looks like timeouts looks like lecturing mm-hmm. what does support mean but I think that that. That's true, Hannah. And none of us knew that getting into parenting, that yeah. we would have to be this invisible support staff, basically yeah. living living in this, uh, all the in-between and playing in the gray and working through emotions and leaning into uncomfortable things. We didn't know that was our job Fostering description. Connection. That is like the most vague thing I've I ever know. heard. But like, I, I think know. that we really believed going Harmony, into parenting. You can hear is quiet. Yeah. Harmony means no one's yelling. Yeah. Harmony means I'm not seeing hitting. Yeah. Connection is very ethereal. Yeah, but I think that, that in terms of quote-unquote discipline and um, challenging behaviors and all that, as parents going into this, we thought our job is to point out misbehavior and teach our child why that's not okay and when that's not okay. And that's our job. And I think that what we've been, been realizing is that We can just take that off our job description, not Mm -hmm. ultimately, but that we have these other things that we're, that we're doing that actually learn, teach skills that actually foster connection, foster emotional intelligence and do all of these things, um, that, that feel better, mm-hmm. ultimately, too, right? It is just a big trust leap, though, to yeah. believe that <clears throat> we could be using skills that weren't necessarily taught to us or used with us yeah. um, in and, this new relationship. And that so much of, like you said, it was these invisible things. In, in, in that assumption, as parents, we thought, I have to tell. I have mm-hmm. to be talking. I have to tell them why it's not okay over and over. And what we're really leaning into in this, and we're going to be explaining, is about how we show it. Mm-hmm. How we show it physically, how we show it with our faces, how we show it with our tone that's support that's support right yeah okay let's dig in what are our kind of top takeaways that we're going to be using within each of these three situations yeah I think just in general with sibling relationships I mean even just with kids in general but in this particular particular set of examples it's sort of like an abridged resist approach in some ways or a highlighted yeah it is the first one the idea is to get real and that is the idea of saying Let's question our expectations. Let's say, is this um, a realistic expectation to let my kid do whatever, to expect my child to not do something else mm-hmm. to to hope and to believe all these things? Um, I think so much about getting real is also saying, what is my kid's development? What can I expect? like they can actually do at this age and stage and not even a general age and stage, but this kid that's showing me what they can do right now. That's what's real. Not what I have (laughs) in my mind. My expectation (laughs) is they should be able to do this. Okay. I checked my expectation. Okay. It's good. I think a two year old should be able to sit in a cart for three hours on a shopping trip. Mm -hmm. No, so much about this getting real is saying, what am I actually seeing from my kid and like our empowerment, we're meeting them where they are, right? Right. And we're not fighting um, the reality, we're working with it. You Love know? it. Because when we work against the reality, we're actually working against our kid. Mm-hmm. So, um, number two is to just keep them safe, which I think we're all generally pretty good at doing is, you know, not just setting them up from success based on their development, but moving in there and with curiosity and non judgmental tone and approach we stop their hand from hitting their sibling we move their bodies out of the way so that we're helping them help themselves like Mm -hmm. we're saving them from themselves from their impulses from their the way that their brain's developing and the needs and skills that they currently have we're just keeping everyone safe with no insult right number three is we support emotionally so you can't get shit done until people are calm research shows that inflamed brains cannot process words, cannot problem solve, can't do any of those things. So we also want our kids to have very, um, you know, uh, strong and like attuned nervous systems so we need to first of all calm ourselves and then we need to help calm them which is called co-regulation and that looks like validating translating when they don't have the communication wor- you know words yet Wh- that means looking beneath their behavior and finding and identifying their underlying needs to help build those skills in mm-hmm. self-awareness and empathy for them and then number four is to problem solve so it's like, okay, we're calm. We're feeling better. Let's problem solve. That might be us problem solving on our own, right? To Back to the get real step. Mm-hmm. Or that might be problem solving with them. We're stating the reality. We're mentioning agreements we had with them. We're innovating. That's the step in our resist approach called innovation. You know, We're getting curious. We're thinking of ideas. We're being creative. We're using humor. And we're even empowering them with words to set their own boundaries with one another. That's also part of problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, circling back. So processing the the situation and thinking of new ideas of what we could do next, next Once everyone's calm. Right. Um, That's the problem-solve. But really, the the main things are to appropriately assess our expectations. And communicate those. And communicate those, right? To keep everybody safe, to support them all emotionally, and then to problem-solve, right? And that's what we as grown-ups would hope to do in the workplace, for example. We'd hope to do those same things. That's what we'd hope to do with our mother-in-law. Like, really just connect with other people and say, these are my needs. What are your needs? How can we all be safe and all be kind to one another? What What can we do here? Love it. <clears throat> so describe situation number one. So situation number one was a toddler hitting a new baby, which you're just like, oh my God, that mm-hmm. is like that's a jarring moment the first time that happens. Oh, man. Or hitting a beloved dog. Mm-hmm. You're like, I love this dog before I love this baby. Like, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about You're this. You're hitting my number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly. My former number one. Yeah. Um, adding insult to injury. Oh, boy. And then hitting us, which is just like, that is just beyond. You're like, oh, my yeah. God. I'm working so hard to keep you safe, to explain what's right and wrong. And mm-hmm. now you are slapping me in the face. Like, mm-hmm. this cannot be happening yeah. right now. I think so um, much our instinct is to just tell them no Mm -hmm. with our faces, with our hands to get upset, to say, you can't hit. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. You know, to, to put them in time out or to keep repeating and saying, so our boundary is you can't hit the baby. The baby's there. You're the big sister Mm -hmm. or you're the big brother. You you love that baby. And then they do it again though. And they do it again. And they do it again. And they do it again. right? Right. Right. And I think that I mean the the result of this that is that it can make us all feel totally insane mm-hmm. right because they will keep hitting the baby they will keep hitting us mm-hmm. they will we will they will get more upset from our yelling and our censure you know they can it can create a lot of confusion and shame in them about their feelings and their needs right and to yeah. feel that like sometimes mama loves me sometimes mama doesn't love me so how can Whoa. we look at this as valuable how can we support this and how can we uh, connect through it instead of assuming harmony and being pissed that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for this, this toddler, this 18-month-old or two-year-old or however old, I think we fused a couple of DMs together, is again, getting real and saying, this is an 18-month-old or a two-year-old. They are struggling with a new transition which is a new person in the family. This is freaking huge. Mm -hmm. This is like your partner bringing home another woman and being like, you're going to love them. It's going to be so You guys are going to be best friends, I swear. (laughs) Don't you say mean words to her.
1: Uh Don't you bitch slap her. No, but I swear
0: I love you both the same. Uh (laughs) Right. Like, it is so jarring for kids to have a new sibling. It's a big transition. So I think getting real is being like, okay, this is huge. This is a big deal. They're going to have feelings about it. And based on their development, they don't have the communication skills to say, hey, so mom and dad, I'm really struggling with this new sibling. They don't have the prefrontal cortex developed for their, to regulate their impulses. So they're having these feelings. They aren't able to communicate them. Their emotions start taking over, and they can't calm themselves down. They mm-hmm. don't know how to do that yet. So that's why it's going to show, show up like hitting, right? So our job, number two, is to keep them safe. So we move in. We have to be aware of this is going to happen, y'all. Write it on your bathroom mirror every morning. So-and-so is going (laughs) to hit so-and-so. So-and-so is going to go batshit crazy on so-and-so. Prepare yourself. (laughs) You know, watch the dog. Watch, Uh you know. Keep it a safe distance when my child is upset so I don't give them the opportunity to hurt me, right? Yeah. Protect everybody, including ourselves. And... I think then and also keep safe is also to in that moment then respond with love we always say high expectations high warmth i'm expecting that i'm going to i'm here to to help you help yourself because you can't get oh, based on you, your age I see and you brain oh you going over to the baby again i'm mm-hmm. gonna, i'm going to be right here oh I'm going to grab your hand. I'm going to stop your hand. Seems like you're having trouble keeping your hands to yourself. Maybe they stop. That's cool. Mm -hmm. You're just there puppy guarding still. Maybe they go back and they try to hit again. They usually have a real big wind up. Mm -hmm. You can see it coming. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good thing about this younger age. Yeah. Um, And stop their hand again. And I would say, you know, it seems like you're having trouble being safe around the baby. What's going on? Should we sit over here and watch? Um, Mm -hmm. Or I might have to separate you. I'm going to pick the baby up, right? Mm -hmm. And and part of keeping safe too is in that environment step of Mm -hmm. maybe the baby needs to be, you know, not dangling on the floor Mm -hmm. in front of the toddler as often. Um, Or maybe in the evening when our toddler is less regulated and not Mm -hmm. feeling as good and feeling uncomfortable, maybe the dog shouldn't be right there where it can kick it in its face while it's eating dinner. You know, um, or where we our kid is melting down, and so we're not going to maybe be holding them when they don't want us to pull our hair or hit us. Where they could do that, so that's keeping everybody safe. And then supporting emotionally is the third step, where we we have to believe and we that all of their behavior comes from an unmet need and lagging skills. And so our goal isn't to just crack down on the behavior and focus on that it's to help them discover and gain awareness in what led to that behavior to the root cause of their discomfort or their suffering mm-hmm. right you're not you you're feeling upset about this right now or you're feeling uncomfortable right now or you wanted to hit something well and that's problem solve yeah, yeah. But, but really just listening and and translating you're wanting to hit something right now like that you're feeling upset uh, you're at the dog or you're, you're wanting to test this thing out. I can't let you do that, but I'm here for you. And, and I'm validating the impulse. I'm acknowledging mm-hmm. it, that everything that comes from their little bodies is okay. And it's coming from a human and a real place. And we got to stop their behaviors, but we have to validate the impulses, right? So that they're not shaming or blaming someday, mm-hmm. right? And then number four, problem solve. So we innovate. We say, do you want to hit this other baby doll over here? You know, looking like you we, wanted to hit something. We got our girls' baby boy dolls when the mm-hmm. boys were born, just expressly to beat up on. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard and for they me did. to see they, sometimes. They went oh, at they went to town. <laughs> but some people say, "Don't hit your baby doll." Why would you hit your baby doll? And I'm like, "Let them hit the baby doll. It's better than the real that baby. Is, that they is know a the wonderful difference." wonderful outlet, of course they do. Um, and. Oh. And so giving them those alternatives, you you can't hit the baby. You're having big feelings right now and I can't let you hit the dog, but you can go hit these pillows over here. Right. Mm -hmm. Or can we, you're having some big feelings. Could I give you a hug? Would that help? Are you, are you wanting to spend a little time? Should we go water these plants together? Mm -hmm. You know, just trying to help them not just, I mean, our goal isn't to just stop behaviors and show them what's wrong because teach, 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 right. right? They they know those behaviors aren't aren't right. And they, can't control them. What we're trying to help them do is to get to the root cause of the behaviors, which extinguishes future behaviors to say, I'm feeling uncomfortable. What is that discomfort? Those are the skills we want them to learn that we're trying to learn as adults. Mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable right now. Why? What's going on? Can I identify that emotion? Can I identify that need? And then can I put words to it to communicate that so that I don't feel the need to hit somebody? Right. Totally. That's the idea. Okay. Let's dive into situation number two. We have a four-year-old with an 18-month-old sibling fighting, and it's mm-hmm. often the four-year-old hitting, right, mm-hmm. the most. Yeah. Or there's an assumption that it's mm-hmm. it ends up being pushed on the four-year-old, and there's a concern there that they're the ones being demonized mm-hmm. because they're the older one. They're the one kind of more in charge with more skills. Oh, man. It's such a tricky time. We are like just out of this phase right now, I and I don't. remember getting into the phase being like, oh, my God, finally, they're both standing and walking. I know. They they both- the first situation <laughs> is more like one-sided because you're really just dealing with the older kid. Mm-hmm. The first one, the younger one's a baby, so it's really so much simpler to just deal with one. And now you're dealing with two. Well, or you you think like I remember thinking I'm just dealing with the older one because it's their fault and they have the more skills, <laughs> yeah. right? And but meanwhile, this other younger child is watching and seeing everything. There's yeah. an actual dynamic at play now. Yeah, but that you're right. Very obvious. You're right, though. We we were at this point teased mm-hmm. by the fact that the 18 month old wasn't putting toys in their mouths to choke all the time. Mm-hmm. And the older one seemed more regulated there more often. There was Less kind of three <laughs> stooges type, like eye poking and head bonking and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we could actually leave the room, be a couple rooms away, maybe mm-hmm. even be showering with the door open while they're playing. Mm-hmm. And it's that hard gray area time where there's still conflict, but it's less predictable, right? Right. And where even though they aren't constantly hurting each other, they still need support. And, and, and but that support is just it's, it's all over the place and I think f- for me personally my instinct when this would happen I would come running and yelling mm-hmm. I would judge who did what and who should know better which it was usually the older child whose fault it was because they should know better mm-hmm. I would try to fix it sometimes and I'd be like well you just take this or you just take this there's right? two come, come on, on. Yeah. or I'd give consequences if you can't share that with so and so then I'm sorry we're, we're going to take it away like yeah. it just—it is so hard to see them struggling like that because you're like, we're finally have that baby face. Can't they just get along? I know, it's but I so think that the, the result of that is that it can create this sort of narrative of a victim and aggressor, mm-hmm. right? The shame, blame, vicious cycle, mm-hmm. um, and the role that we talked about—not wanting to have. We don't want to be the hall monitor. We don't want to be the judge and jury. Right. We just want to be sub- neutral support staff and we want to be support staff that is basically our goal is to be giving them skills to be solving their own problems awareness and skills to be putting us out of a job right Right. but but we don't give those skills by saying hey that's not okay to do apologize or give that one back or share that's not actually giving skills even though that's that's (laughs) not support I know but that's our instinct right yeah so what does support look like in this situation I mean, I think if we start with getting real, that's meeting them where they are. So they're maybe not ready to be playing successfully, quote unquote, without conflict all the time and believing that conflict, their conflict is actually an opportunity for them to understand their own needs, understand the other's needs, understand how to communicate their needs and set boundaries. Right, work through nonviolent communication, two and four-year-olds can be doing nonviolent communication together. It is possible. Yeah, what what is that quote from that says something like, fighting isn't how kids learn to hate each other, it's how they learn to love each other. Mm -hmm. Because it's so backward in these situations where you're like, every time they have an altercation, you think they're not gonna be friends. Mm -hmm. This is it. This is one ding, a mar on their record of friendship. I want them to be college roommates. I want them to call each other every day when they're older, mm-hmm. when I'm gone, you know. But, but their fighting isn't putting their relationship at risk. It's building their relationship. Yeah, it's such we, a big If we one. support it in a way that that does, that nurtures that, right? Yeah. So I think getting real, too, is like with kids this age, is really preparing an environment that suits them. So having an agreement with our older kid, which toys aren't you willing to share with your two-year-old sibling, then we need to have those in a safe place so that they're not constantly being bombarded. Hey, if you want to do Legos that you don't want disrupted by your two-year-old sibling right now, where could we be putting those? Like mm-hmm. up, up before. So preventing some unnecessary struggle. Um, but also- Setting them up for success setting setting kind of in that yeah, way. Yeah. but like also knowing it's going to happen. So it's going to happen. We come in. Keeping them safe means, again, approaching with curiosity, with non-judgmental warmth, we're, we're just saying, hey, oh, hey, how's it going in here? Instead of, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Why did you do this? It's saying, how's it going in here? What's going on? I heard some yelling. Right? Yeah. Is everything okay? Can I help at all? Right? Oh, I'm seeing you reaching out to hit your sibling right now. I'm going to hold your hand here. Okay. I'm going to keep you safe. Hey, I'm going to move you to my side over here. Let's talk where, about this. Or we can talk this out. How's it going? You guys both seem really upset right now. Yeah. So we don't presume to know what's going on necessarily. We're yeah. just making sure everyone's safe. But in, in our minds, we might be like, "This happens every day. I know exactly <laughs> what happened." But we want to come in with like with a fresh heart on it, right? So that so that we're not like. Um, Adding adding to a pattern, and our judgments aren't becoming their narrative within their sibling relationship. Yeah, right. That you always do this, that you never do this, that she's constantly this. You're the big brother, and you're failing her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or you're the bully. Yeah, right, or you're the crybaby. Yeah, like we can so easily, based on our attitude and our approach, give them these beliefs about themselves and in their relationship. So So we want to play cool. I feel like in this in this uh, supporting emotionally stage. We really just sports cast. Mm-hmm. And that's saying, so then what happened? Okay, so you said you had it. Um, And then what happened? Mm-hmm. Okay, and you said, then you it sounds like you wanted it after. Mm-hmm. And really just being that neutral, non-judgmental communication supportive presence, right? Well, and again, saying not just I'm making a judgment about what you did and what you should do instead, but saying, I'm curiously exploring the dynamics of this challenge because that's what we want them to do together someday. And but right? we can only do that if we're showing with our approach, that it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. That this isn't do or die, that they didn't fuck up. That this Mm -hmm. is, we can figure this out. And right. we're showing that through our tone. This isn't the end of the world. Right. You guys disagree. You guys having different needs and different agendas. We yeah. can understand each other. Our influence is so strong. I know. That's so true. Like If we come into a, a scenario screaming or yelling or punishing, that tells our kids, when I fight with my sibling, it's the end of the fucking world. Mm-hmm. When I fight with my sibling, someone ends up punished or crying. And my Conflict parents are mad at me. Conflict equals bad. Basically, the, those beliefs that are informing our our mindset approach and goal become our kids' beliefs about themselves. So, yes, I agree, Kel. Like, coming in with... Some a loving face, getting down to their level. Even listening. if we're freaking out inside, and so much of this connects Han to our free to feel episode, where we mm-hmm. talk about not just connecting to our kids' right to have big feelings, but ha- our own right and ways that we can self-regulate mm-hmm. to then co-regulate. So please go back to that episode. Yeah, if we're going to help them calm down, we have to calm down ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, this is the dream right here. Yeah, yeah. And then problem solve with with these two kiddos, right? They, we need to help them move through a challenge without always getting the answers or the judgments or instructions from us as their like, but I think power that's, figure. That's why we right? tend to say, you're on your own. I can't always give you the answers. Mm-hmm. You guys have to figure this out yourself if you're going to have... a a successful relationship, right? That's another extreme. It is. We we can't get pushed to extremes, either over-controlling or undermining by not being there. I agree. I think, again, this is finding that middle way that we talk about, where we're there as support staff to help scaffold those skills little by little by little. We've helped them to calm down. We've kept them safe, right? We've helped them identify their needs. And now we need to say, great. So we've gotten these feelings out. We're safe here. What can we do about this Lego situation? We need ideas. We need, yeah. Or later, outside that Lego situation, in our circle back step that we talk about later within trust, mm-hmm. um, we can say, hey, I've noticed every time around 5 o'clock this type of thing has been happening. What's up? What's mm-hmm. going on? And, and connect with mm-hmm. the older kids separately. Or when, you're, yeah, when your little sister starts effing with your stuff, mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed you tend to just kick her right away in the head. And I understand that those feelings are Mm -hmm. so strong because you love those Legos and you protect what you made. But what other things could you do instead to help her understand about the Legos? Be, you know, could you yell thing? stop, right? Could you set a boundary earlier when you mm-hmm. see her coming towards them and say, here's the line. These are my Legos. Please don't come nearby. Or this is what I need you to do instead. Instead of just saying no, say what to do. We're, a lit- we're helping our older kids, especially say what they need. And mm-hmm. we're helping our younger kids do that, too. It's been a cool process seeing our daughters taking on some of those uh, things that we've been doing for mm-hmm. them, where they'll, they'll all of a sudden sort of divert our younger sons to just be like, hey, actually, I need you to go. Could you do this thing? Because they realize if I say, stop, don't come any closer, our sons are going to be like, hmm, I'm going to come a little closer. I might, I might just stick my toe into this uh, big thing you've been building. But they understand they want to, the younger sons want to be a part of something. So they're going to say, could you go find me a blue block over mm-hmm. there? So that you can feel like you're participating, but I'm still protecting the shit that I just made, Mm -hmm. right? Or maybe mom wants you to come say hi to her. Where is she? Go run and say hi. Like finding things for the younger one to do. Strategies. Mm -hmm. um, When you feel like they might be getting up in your stuff. And having a four or five-year-old is old enough to be thinking about this stuff Mm -hmm. and stepping into that sort of like parental mindset of... How can we make everyone successful? Mm -hmm. And how can we not make this a fight? Right. And when we, you know, blame the older for being the aggressor, the younger for being the victim, we're undermining both of their potential, right? We're undermining the older kids' opportunity to say, I can think about this better. I can treat this younger kid better when I'm I'm able. And the younger kid for saying, I'm strong and I can say what my needs are. I can think of other things and figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. Like we want to be... Approaching them with their like their strengths, not with with a weakness mentality. If that, that makes, makes sense. That. Okay. Situation three: twin eight year olds who are verbally abusing each yes. other. We did not do that very much, did no. we? Kel? No, no, we did not. Um, but it is very common for siblings to verbally abuse one another. They've moved out of the bonk each other on the head, you know, whack each other on the back for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. kids ebb and physical flow. Physical tackling. Yeah, where yeah. you're like, I know they're not going to kill each other or poke an eye out if I co- I'm cooking dinner in the other room, but, or we're in the car, like, they're not going to be, but like, terrible. But it's hard. But it's like a whole new form of trauma as a parent to watch. Torture. Torture. It is, <laughs> yeah. because you, you you could, like, get in there on the physical stuff where you're like, they obviously can't control their bodies. We're realizing, oh, they were just totally dysregulated and lashing out, right? Mm-hmm. But when you see one of them, look at the other one. And say something so mean mm-hmm. that it makes the other one cry. That it's so, like these words that are so hurtful—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's a whole other level of mm-hmm. torture. It really is. It really is. My instinct is always to. To censor one of them and be like, you cannot use those words. You cannot talk to them like that. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. If you say one more rude thing, like you're going to your room for timeout. Look at look at them. You hurt their feelings. You're making them cry. Look what you've done. Right. I want to shame them. Totally. Right. We want them to know that's not okay. But the result of that, you know, that we've read and experienced is that doing that, judging can um really empower their words rather than disempower their words and it can polarize the kid's relationship even further and cause that shame blame spiral thing again um so it's like how do we stop that behavior but also you know not empower it i think what Uh. we're going to talk about this next week in our free to speak episode Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. so we don't have to go too deep into this but (laughs) i think that that really our goal is to compassionately reflect and explore the suffering beneath the feelings like we do in all of these with the scenarios. With a behavior, with right? anything. It could mm-hmm. be a behavior. It could be harsh words. Um, it could be anything so that we can deepen their relationship instead of disconnect them. Mm-hmm. And so they're not polarized so that n- it's no one against anyone but just saying, reflecting that... A, an, A person is suffering that people aren't understanding each other Mm -hmm. and really just reflecting what we see. It's so hard with words, though, where you're like, I mean, it's hard for all of us with behavior weapons to say these things I'm seeing, these things I'm hearing are not okay. They're my number one priority to shut down now. Yeah. Instead of saying, wait, 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 these are all they they are not the cause. They are the symptom. Mm -hmm. Let's set these words And these behaviors aside, and let's get to the underlying cause, which are needs and feelings that they do not know how to identify and manage, Mm -hmm. right? And that is the skills that we want them to learn. So instead of wasting our time on behaviors, giving them shame and blame situations. teach them, quote unquote. Right, let's teach them how to identify the experiences inside themselves that are causing these words and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Let's get to the root cause of this shit. Totally. Okay, so if we get real with this... How does that look with two older kids? I think similarly preparing an environment, keeping them together and playing in a way at different times of day where they can be successful, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um I think just getting real and knowing we've got to meet them where they are. They're not going to be hitting each other anymore, but when they're uncomfortable, their own discomfort is going to look different now. It's not going to be throwing a tantrum. It's not going to be um hitting one another. It's going to be verbally abusing them or it's going maybe to be even poking. Us. Poking right. and being like, hmm, yeah, cuz you're a sissy or but it's you're coming, stupid and I know and I'm going to tell all our friends right. that whatever." Right? But getting real comes requires that we see that as coming from the same place as these other behaviors as an infant crying is the same as an eight-year-old like Mm -hmm. verbally abusing it It is the same as me complaining to my husband about him. it's all the same it's coming from an underlying need and it's expressed based on current skills yeah right how do we keep these guys safe when it's just verbal it's like a whole other ball game that they've Mm -hmm. graduated to right yeah i mean I don't know. Like, I think that sometimes I, like, there's nothing you can really do with, with verbal stuff. Half the time I'm like trapped in the car when they're doing these things. It's so, the worst. Right. It's like I can plug my ears, or if I, we're at home, we, I can go into the other room. Or but if, you want to support yeah, it. Yeah. And it could turn to something more physical. So I, mm-hmm. I do feel compelled often to be nearby because my kids will still like leap on each other this sometimes. Is, this is the brewing of yeah. discomfort. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think that supporting them emotionally. that's number three is again, to regulate ourselves and remember we're getting it real. We're keeping them safe. And then our job is to co-regulate them. They are uncomfortable. They are experiencing a stress of some sort and it's coming out. It's being projected in these abusive words towards another person. That's what people do when they feel uncomfortable and they can't identify it and they can't manage it. They project it onto other people. And oftentimes I think, I think it's really hard to think, that this is a good thing, but I think when our kids abuse us or abuse one another, it's because they're comfortable in that relationship Mm -hmm. because it's a safe place for them to let those feelings go and be themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to shame them or punish them for that. So I think that the idea behind supporting them emotionally is to say, look beneath the, the words and say, wow, this is for the kid who's struggling and abusing the other one and the one who's being abused is saying, wow, you sound really uncomfortable right now. I'm not going to fall for all these words to myself. How are you doing? How are you, is there anything we and can do to help? And then maybe turn to the to the one taking the barrage of mm-hmm. words and say, they seem really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need a little space. Or do you want to come help me in the kitchen because mm-hmm. they're they seem to be struggling. Mm-hmm. Could be this next step of wow. problem solving. Yeah. Was it something you guys were talking about earlier? Was it something? Mm-hmm. I'm here to listen. I'm here. I can see you're uncomfortable. I'm not going to make this a blame game about the words you're saying to choose new words or to stop saying those Even words. Even though I want you to yes. stop saying them so badly. The, the fastest way to put this fire out is to basically throw water on it, not more flames. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a cool, loving presence saying... How are you? I see you suffering. I'm here for you. And that's modeling to the other child that this isn't something crazy scary. This isn't something terrible. This the, isn't the, something the, actually their, personal. Their sibling doesn't actually right. hate them or exactly. think they're stupid or the, whatever it is. We're not empowering those words. Yeah. Right? Or that intention that's not yeah. even there. You know, I say things I don't mean all the time. Yeah. Mostly to you and my husband. Safe people, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And when we take it personally, that just totally derails the whole situation. When I cut through your crap, Kelly, and I say, "Oh wow, you're nitpicking the best my driving right now. Instead of being like, I am turning with my turn signal, or uh-huh. I am whatever. <laughs> when you um, just go, how are you doing? I'm just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> she sees through me. Right. She I can, can see. see that you're suffering from something. You're yeah. uncomfortable right now. And because I love you, I'm going to lean in on that. I'm not going to take it personally. And I'm grateful every time you are. And then we problem solve. Okay, so what would be good to victim child? Do you want to go in the other room? Do you want to talk to them? You know, other child, how how are you doing? You want to talk this out? Do you need a little space? Helping them to identify what would be best for them to calm down and to feel better. Mm -hmm. Not fixing, not distracting. Not being like, let's go do this. They're feeling uncomfortable, and they need to get the stress out and process and integrate their nervous system, right? Yeah. So we don't want to fix it. We don't want to stop it. You know, it's, that's such a big reminder. In all three of these examples, is everything these kids are doing in their conflict is so normal. It's so necessary mm-hmm. for purging stress, for for learning communication dynamics, um, for pushing and testing boundaries. What else? For identifying their own personal needs and feelings so that they can communicate those then to another person. These are all these um, really intricate, um, invisible processes that we didn't realize were on our job description that we have these opportunities to engage with through these sibling struggles that happen all the freaking time. Do you want some soda? Thanks. Um, So that was it. Those are the three things. we have a, f- a few little other final thoughts, but you can download our resist approach on our website and really go through that kind of main um, uh, protocol, yeah, like the a template. Very flexible template. I think that it really, uh, the resist approach works for us for any conflict or disagreement, you know, mm-hmm. and we can... Like basically to run through it quickly for any sibling conflict, when we use the resist approach, they learn the resist approach. Mm-hmm. The way we engage with our kids in their conflict is ultimately what they learn. It's not what we say, this is okay and this isn't okay, mm-hmm. and I'm teaching you about this behavior or this interaction or what to do. It's the way we do it, right? Mm-hmm. So when we respect them as their own person and as their own relationship, they believe that, that, they're, that they are their own person. And they learn to respect others. They right. do. And when we empathize, they learn that there are feelings there and that someone can sit and hold space for someone else's to gain understanding and that they can hold space for someone else. Right. And when we sync up and say, okay, but here's my need, they, or here's your, your sibling's need, they learn that they can say that to another person to be like, uh, actually, but here's my concern. Here's what I want to say. Here's what I need. Right. And they can honor other people's boundaries as well. And then when we innovate, they learn all of these amazing skills for processing and problem solving through their own discomfort, through a conflict with another person to get those conflicting needs met and looking at it as just a matter of not understanding this other person enough. Mm-hmm. right and then when we summarize and set a limit and say but here's well, here's where i draw the line they learn to draw that line lovingly and respectfully and with someone respect else and respect as other people's well. and respect other people's limits yeah and then when we trust and say This is okay, and and it's this isn't the end of the world, and and we're all human, and we're going to circle back, and we're going to be practicing this over and over again, and we want to be practicing this. They learn that this is not a scary thing, this is not polarizing, this is not putting anyone's love at risk, right? Mm -hmm. Right. These are all worthy things for us to be learning, and for our kids to be learning. We're all practicing, right? right? I know. I think so much about this is just dispensing with these. Patriarchal, hierarchical, rigid, binary ways of thinking. Labels like good, bad, victim, aggressor, nice, mean, good choice, bad choice, mm-hmm. um, good feelings, bad feelings. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that we can show them what we hope to hear from our partner when we struggle with with someone, or what we would have liked to hear as a kid from our own parent or teacher, right? That this is all okay. This is normal. This is what siblings do sometimes, what humans do when they're struggling. This mm-hmm. has value, you know, and, and showing them through our behavior, nothing you do scares me, worries me, or makes me mad. I'm going to be here to keep you safe. I have trust that you both care about each other, even when you can't show it, and that any conflict is figure outable together, you know? And that these conflicts are important for you to be able to realize your own needs and become in tune with your siblings' needs. We're all in this together, right? That's what we want to be communicating. That's the goal. Absolutely. And we were talking about this a few days ago that ultimately our kids' relationship, really, when you think about it, depends less on how they treat one another in these early years and more about how we unconditionally and consistently support their feelings and needs. Because that's what's ultimately gonna get them the skills and the awareness to, to move through relationships successfully. Mm-hmm. I feel like the sibling relationship is this blueprint for future relationships. Like the parent-child relationship in a way. Yeah, and even though it can seem really worrisome and triggering to see them harm one another, we really do believe that every mistake, every hit, every meltdown is another chance for us to help them process their stress, learn about their feelings, understand the why behind their needs and boundaries, and stay connected through all of it. You know, And when you really think about it, this approach... The resist approach is less effort than the parenting that comes more instinctually yeah. to us. You know, it requires less explaining, worrying, punishing, judging, convincing. When all we're really doing with all of this is just responding and adjusting to situations that match the needs and development of our kids, which really ultimately leaves more time for connecting and laughing and loving all the stuff we want more of, right? Yeah. And I think when we believe that sibling conflict is valuable rather than negative, and that it's our job is to support it rather than control it, and that our ultimate goal is connection instead of harmony, Shit happens. Yeah. You know, we're working with our kids, with life, and with the universe. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it gives us ultimately something to work with and not against. Yeah. You know, and like I said earlier, growing up alongside our kids, as we also practice these skills and gain awareness of our own needs as parents, their needs as kids and siblings. Yeah. That's what relationship is about. It's a safe place to be ourselves and see others as who they really are too. And that's what we're giving our kids when we can. Try to do this. I love that. We get lots of chances. Yeah, we do. <laughs> a lot. Um, tune in for next week's free to speak episode. It's gonna be a big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely connected to that third situation. Um, and our Instagram videos this week, mm-hmm. we've got a couple sibling videos out, uh, where we kind of practice and walk through and you can see our faces and our tones of all the stuff we're just really trying to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. What else? We want to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. on the episode. DM us how you deal with siblings, what you're struggling with with siblings, um, mm-hmm. what what any like Q and A type thing you'd want us to sort of meander our way through and commiserate and connect and support about. Like we're here for you. This is a really shitty hard time, extra shitty and hard. Being mm-hmm. home with our kids, um, confined, parenting in isolation. Um, parenting in captivity, it feels like often. And we're here and we want to talk with you and we want to hear about it, right, Han? Yes. Um, thank you to our techie renaissance dude, Alex, for producing this podcast, editing music, all the things which are keeping us going. Yeah. And to our incredibly talented friends, Amber Okamura, Okamura, who does our art, and Mary Schroeder of Making Type, who does all of our lettering. Yeah, please subscribe, rate, and review. We really value your feedback and it yes. helps everyone find our podcast. Yes, we are at uh, 101 countries, right Cal? Yep. That was pretty exciting. It was really cool. We went past the hundred. I didn't lie. It's like, how many countries are there? I like, clearly need to oh, get up man. on my geography a little bit. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this world's big and beautiful. Lastly, thank you guys for being here. This is a messy and incredibly important job being a parent, and we're going to make mistakes lots of them and that is okay because our growth depends on it and if you are here you're doing the work and you're doing an amazing job and we're so proud of you we're right here with you taking steps to better understand ourselves our kids and one another one conversation at a time so thanks for being here we're all in this together and we're all growing up together till next time